Welcome to the City Church Cardiff podcast. We're an Elim Pentecostal church in the center of Cardiff dedicated to bringing hope in the name of Jesus. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you're inspired and impacted by this message. Over the course of this year, there's been a lot of discussion about leadership, about how world leaders have responded to the crisis, whether they've responded well or not, how each country's leaders have approached the crisis and how each country has fared. There have been articles and talks and conferences and courses even on crisis leadership, on how to respond well in a crisis. So there's been a lot of talk about leadership. One thing that I think we can all agree on is that the world needs more godly leaders. We need more godly leaders. We need Christians leading in the marketplace and in the church. Women and men who are filled with the Holy Spirit, leading in education, leading in healthcare, leading in sport, in the arts, in um, all the sectors, in business, in government. We need Christians leading in those environments. And we need women and men who are leading in the church, women and men who are filled with integrity and passion and vision, leading in our churches. Dominic and I are passionate about seeing leaders raised up, about seeing leaders walking out in their gifting that they've been given in leadership. And that's why today I want to talk about the importance of fanning into flame your leadership. Fan your leadership into flame. The terms leader and leadership can often be misunderstood. So sometimes people think that leadership is just about being in charge. Or sometimes people think that leadership has to be done completely on your own. Or sometimes people think that leadership is just about being the one to make the final decision. Well, in fact, leadership is about developing and empowering others, about developing and empowering other people. It's about using your influence for good. Good leadership really does have a huge impact. John Maxwell said, everything rises and falls on leadership. The world becomes a better place when people become better leaders. Everyone has influence. Everyone has the capacity to influence those around them. But some people are given a specific gift of leadership, leading others, influencing those that they're leading. Here at City Church, a great way to put a leadership gifting into practice is by leading a collective. Collectives are our midweek groups of 8 to 12 people where people gather to pray together, to care for one another, to worship together, to inspire each other on their walk with Jesus. And each collective is led by two leaders who are responsible for the group's discipleship. So leading a collective is about investing in people's discipleship, about empowering others and helping them to live like Jesus. Now, just before we go on to talk about how we develop our leadership, how we fan into flame our leadership gifting, I want to say a couple of things about identifying a leadership gift. How do you identify if you're called to lead? The first thing I would say is uh, look for the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Are you getting a nudge from God? Is God speaking to you about uh, leadership, about being called to lead? The second thing to think about is desire. Do you actually want to lead? 
Now, there are lots of discussions around reluctant leadership and people who might be nervous, but there needs to be some sort of desire to actually want to lead, even if that is accompanied by a nervousness. The third thing to think about is the affirmation of others, to look out for those who are affirming you, those who are encouraging you, those who are calling out of you a leadership gifting. Are you already walking in that leadership? Have other people noticed that? Have they said to you that you seem to have a leadership gifting? So once you've identified a leadership gifting, what do you do? What do you actually do with it then? Well, we're going to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 1. This is a, a letter that's written from Paul to Timothy, Paul's last letter, in fact, before his death. And um, this letter is written to Timothy, who Paul has mentored and worked alongside. In this letter, Paul encourages this younger leader, Timothy, to endure, to keep going in his ministry, to keep the faith. So 2 Timothy 1, reading from verse 5. I remember your genuine faith, for you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I know that same faith continues strong in you. This is why I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love and self-discipline. So here's Paul encouraging Timothy, and he starts by talking about the line of believers that Timothy has come from, his mother and grandmother before her. By the way, parents and grandparents, this is a great reminder of the legacy that you leave by passing on your faith to your children and your grandchildren. Paul then goes on to say that it's this faith, this strong faith in Jesus. This is the reason why he's reminding Timothy about his God-given gift. He says he's reminding Timothy to fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you. Now, all believers are given gifts by God. All believers are given gifts to glorify God, to advance the kingdom of God. And for some people, one of those gifts is the gift of leadership. But here's the thing about the gifts. Here's the thing about the gifts that we receive from God. This passage doesn't say that Timothy's gift meant that he could just sit back and relax and put his feet up now because he knows what his gift is. He's sorted. It'll just all happen naturally through him. It says that Timothy needs to fan into flame the gift he was given. We're not passive when we receive the gifts of God. God gives us gifts, but he doesn't force his will upon us. He asks us to cooperate with him, to step into the gifts that he's given to us. We need to fan them into flame. When I was single, I used to live with a singer in a flat share, and um, she had a, an incredible voice, a really beautiful, tuneful, and powerful voice. Um, it was incredible to listen to. When I knew her, she was uh, playing weddings and parties. Now she's recording albums and TV shows. One of the things that really struck me not long after living with her was every single day she would do her vocal exercises. I'd hear her in her room doing her vocal exercises. Now, before I lived with her, I was one of those people that thought you either had a good voice or you didn't, and that was just it. But what I learned through her was that even though she had this beautiful voice, she worked on it, she developed it, she invested in her voice. And now when it comes to the gift of leadership, this isn't about striving or, or forcing something, but it is about intentionality. It is about intentionally investing in the gift that we've been given. In Romans 12, we can read about some of the spiritual gifts. It says, it says this, in his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. 
If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you're a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it's giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. And then skipping over to verse 11, never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. We need to fan our gifts into flame. This means partnering with God in our gifts. Once you know what your gift is, invest in it, grow it, work with God to see that gift used for his glory. Let God work in and through you. The church needs your gifts. The world needs your gifts. This is how we can reflect God to other people. This is how people can see God at work through us when we're using the gifts that God has given us. At City Church, we're committed to investing in leaders. And for our collective leaders, they start with going on a training where they learn all about pastoral care and spiritual gifts and well-being and uh, safeguarding. And all of these collective leaders are in a leadership hub where they meet up with other leaders and they have a leader who is investing in their growth as well. But even though we invest in our collective leaders, we also encourage them to invest in their leadership themselves, to stoke the fire by praying regularly, by reading the Bible regularly, by gathering a community of people around them who they're accountable to and who are cheering them on, who are investing in them and wanting to see them thrive in their leadership. You know, leadership doesn't exist in a vacuum. It's not possible to lead in isolation. You need people around you who are supporting you. Stoking the fire also means growing in self-awareness, getting to know yourself and how you respond to things and how you react to things um, better. Jenny Catron in her book, The Four Dimensions of Extraordinary Leadership, says, Extraordinary leadership is found in a leader who has searched to discover his or her authentic self and from that place influences others to accomplish great dreams. Fan your gift into flame by increasing your self-awareness. Partner with God to strengthen your strengths and work on your weaknesses. Strengthen your strengths and work on your weaknesses. So we've talked about the why. We've talked about why it's so important to fan our leadership into flame because of our faith in Jesus. We've talked about the what, what fanning into flame a leadership gift looks like. And the next verse in our passage helps us to understand how we lead. Paul is talking to Timothy about the spirit that God has given to us as believers and encouraging Timothy in his gifts and in his spreading of the gospel. It says, 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. Why would Paul mention timidity at this point? Why would he talk about fear at this point? Is it because Timothy was a particularly nervous person? Is it because Timothy was known as being a bit of a scaredy cat? Well, I don't think that's the case. I think Paul has brought up fear and timidity because of the situation that Paul himself is in. Paul is writing from a prison cell. He's imprisoned for his faith. He's been persecuted and abandoned by his friends. He's been imprisoned. And yet he's encouraging Timothy in this same ministry to endure in this same calling. This kind of persecution is what Timothy may well face himself by living out this calling. So actually, it'd be pretty understandable if Timothy did feel a little bit timid, given what his mentor Paul was going through. Now, you might have seen the challenges of leadership. 
You might have seen people leading and seen that it's actually really challenging. You might be aware that leadership carries a, an extra weight of responsibility. You might even be aware that stepping into leadership might draw the attention of the enemy. But the wonderful thing is that God didn't give Paul or Timothy a spirit of fear and timidity. And he doesn't give us a, fear, a spirit of fear and timidity either. Leadership carries challenges, but it's also amazingly rewarding. It's an awesome honor to be entrusted with the leadership of other people, to be entrusted with investing in other people. And God equips those that he calls. He gives us a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. Now, the word power that's used in the Greek is dynamis, which the English words dynamite and dynamo and dynamic are derived from. So we're talking about dynamite power, Holy Spirit power. I'm just going to swap microphones now for the sound. In his book, The Emotionally Healthy Leader, Pete Scazzaro talks about different types of power someone can hold. Things like positional power, like the role that we have, or personal power, the gifts and skills and education and knowledge that we have. And relational power, the relationships that we've built or the people that we're in relationship with. Too often we separate out Holy Spirit power and things like positional power or relational power as if God isn't interested in every single aspect of our lives, as if God doesn't want to work through every single thing that we do. You can't leave the Holy Spirit at home while you go to work. You can't separate out the resurrection power that lives inside of you as you're interacting with your family. You know, power is an interesting topic. Sometimes people get nervous about it and they can be put off talking about it because it's been misused. You know, we'll all have known of stories in history or even recent stories of people in positions of power who misuse their power in some way. But what I think isn't talked about enough is the way that uh, the amount of times that power can actually be underused or even completely unused when people haven't used their power for good, when they haven't used the influence that they've got, they've, not, they've chosen not to speak up and use their voice. In 1963, Martin Luther King, having been arrested on charges of breaking laws against mass public demonstrations, wrote a letter now known as the Letter from a Birmingham Jail, in which he wrote this. First, I must confess that over the past few years, I've been gravely disappointed with the white moderate, who is more devoted to order than to justice who prefers a negative peace, which is the absence of tension, to a positive peace, which is the presence of justice. The white moderate referred to here is white people who were either passive, not using their voice and worried about rocking the bow, or who were vocal in their opposition to demonstrations and to nonviolent action. White clergy who would write articles in opposition to the civil rights movement. White ministers who called King's actions unwise and untimely. These were people who had power and influence but chose not to use it for good. People who should have been on the right side of justice but their power remained unused. Both misused and unused power are wrong. But God gives us a spirit of his power. The power to live godly lives. The power to carry God's presence. The power to love others. The power to fight injustice. The power to lead a group of other people in getting to know what their gifts are. The Holy Spirit gives us the power to use our influence, not just for good, but for God. 
And it's only by being filled with the Holy Spirit that we can walk in this power. It's only by God's grace that we can walk in this power. So God gives us a spirit of power and of love, a love of Jesus, a love of the church, a love of those who don't yet know Jesus. The word for love that's used here is agape. Agape is unconditional love. It describes the love that God has for us and the same love that we can have for him and for other people. You know, society's logic often tells us that we should love those who are deserving of our love, those who um, behave in a way that deserves our love or um, who are kind to us or who are appealing in some way to us. But God's love is radical. It doesn't have those conditions. And that's the radical love that we're called to as well. A love that's made possible by his love, by the love that God shows of. Love for those that we're leading, love for our fellow believers, love for our church family, love for those, the lost, the last and the least. Love for people from different backgrounds, different places and different experiences. This is the kind of love that we're called to. Radical love is sacrificial and generous. It says my comfort and my needs are not what I'm going to put first. I'm going to put others before me. It says I'm committed Even though I might feel like just going home and putting my feet up, I'm actually going to make sure that I commit the time for my collective, for my group. Do you know the best small groups are those that love each other radically? You know, I know of a small group who agreed to financially help each other out when one of them was in need. So if one of them lost a job or they were struggling or they had an unexpected expense, then the group would pull together and help them financially. I've known of groups who've organized meals for new parents or those that have lost a loved one. I've known of groups that have prayed around the clock when one of their group is ill or struggling with something. Groups where strangers become friends and friends become family. You know, a key reason why these things happened in these groups that I'm describing is because of the way that they were led. Because the leaders were filled with love for their group and they set the culture, they set the tone that we're a group that loves each other. Leaders need to love that those that they lead. Leaders need to love those that they're leading. You can't lead effectively without loving people. To lead well is to love well. To lead well is to love well. And it's this love that enables you to sacrifice for those that you lead. Have compassion for those that you lead. Have a vision for all that they can be. When leaders love radically and outrageously, then power can't be unused or misused. And the people they're leading get to grow into all they're meant to be. So we're given a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. During the lockdown period, when many people didn't have their usual routines, and most of us were at home, whether working from home or, or not working at all, and we didn't have our usual commitments, I know that routine was a struggle for some people. So some people got dressed at two minutes to nine when their first Zoom meeting was at nine. Obviously, nobody from the City Church staff team were doing that. Some people got a little bit too familiar with the Netflix notification that asked you, are you still watching? Because the TV's been on for that bit too long. Some people got very familiar with not just baking, but also eating cake as well. It took a lot of self-discipline to keep a routine when all of our routines were out of the window. But self-discipline is so important. Now, I'm not talking about legalism here. I'm talking about keeping things in balance. The spirit of self-discipline means that we aren't slaves to our impulses. We aren't just uh, hopping around from one thing to the next without any kind of consistency. 
You know, in our society, we're bombarded with messaging that says that we're supposed to respond to our impulses, that that's the only way that we can live, is that we're just slaves to our impulses. Fast fashion is something that plays on this, changing so quickly, telling people they need the next thing. It's not just a nice-to-have, it's a must-have, that piece of clothing. We're encouraged to buy on credit and pay later, not save up. We recently ran something at City Church called Justice Conversations, where we took four weeks, a group of us, to discuss four different justice issues. We talked about consumerism, we talked about gender justice, we talked about the environment, and we talked about racial justice. Now, in the week that we talked about consumerism, I mentioned a, a video called The Story of Change. And this is a video that talks about um, changing systems to enable us to live ethically, to live in a way that has um, the best impact on our world rather, rather than the worst. This video talks about trying to live sustainably being actually really tough because it's hard to find out what the supply chains are for products that we buy. It's hard to understand how things are actually made before they get to us. It's hard to find products that are affordable that also don't do damage to our world. It's a bit like trying to swim upstream against the current. And part of the reason why it's so difficult is because the onus gets put on the individual to make individual choices about their consumption, rather than us collectively changing systems to do with corporations and economies and governments. Now, we all need to be doing the right thing when it comes to living ethically, how our decisions affect other people, but it needs to be easier for us to do the right thing. We can't always be fighting against supermarkets who are using excessive amount of plastic or fighting against clothing companies who aren't interested in the welfare and wages of their garment workers or fighting against governments who prioritise profits over people. It needs to be possible for more people to do the right thing. I've known Christians who approach self-discipline a little bit like this, as if they're swimming upstream against the current, trying really hard to just read their Bible more often, even amidst all the distractions around them, trying really hard to just pray a little bit longer, even though all they're thinking about is their to-do list, trying really hard to commit to community, but packing their diary full of lots of other things. They think if they can just swim hard enough, they'll reach the top and then they'll be able to encounter God. But God gives us a spirit of self-discipline. God's spirit living in us prompts us to read the Bible, prompts us to pray, encourages us, gives us a passion for community, for God's church. We still have a choice to make. We still have to work on our self-discipline, but we're not left on our own to just rely on our willpower. Instead, God helps us. The more we spend time with God, the more self-discipline that we have. The spirit of self-discipline gives us sound judgment and the ability to commit. Self-discipline makes sure that our yes is, our, is yes and our no is no. And for leaders, self-discipline means that we commit to praying for those that we're leading. We commit to not just listening to God for ourselves, but for other people as well. God doesn't give us a spirit of fear and timidity. He gives us a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. The world needs more godly leaders. The world needs more godly leaders. You know, for some of you who are listening to this message, you might already be in leadership. And so for you, this passage that we've been reading about is a word of encouragement. Keep fanning into flames that gift that you've got. But for other of you, you might have a gift of leadership, but you haven't stepped into it yet. 
Maybe today the Holy Spirit is nudging you. Maybe you're getting a nudge to explore what a leadership gifting would look like, how you outwork a gifting of leadership. You know, it's so important that we exercise the gifts that were given by God because of Jesus, because of the kingdom of God, because of the faith that we're given. For those of you who have been given a gift of leadership, we can't be passive in this. We have to fan our leadership into flame. Don't let the fire burn out. Don't let the fire grow cold. Fan your leadership into flame. As leaders, we don't retreat. We advance. We don't shrink back. We step in. Step into your leadership calling and burn brightly with the fire of God. Now, we're going to have a moment where we're going to explore what responding to this message looks like. But first, I want to give an opportunity to anybody who isn't yet in a relationship with Jesus. And you've been hearing this message or, or maybe you've been hearing the, the worship music earlier. And you've been prompted that today you want to make a commitment. Today you want to make a commitment to following Jesus for the rest of your life. If that's you, I just want to encourage you to read the prayer that's about to appear on the screen, which talks about saying sorry to God and making commitment to him. So we're going to pray together. Jesus, I acknowledge that I have done wrong things and that my sin has separated me from you. But I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead. Today I ask for your forgiveness and thank you for your gift of new life. I receive you as my Lord and Saviour. I choose relationship with you and I choose to live for you. Please come into my heart and change my life now and forevermore. Amen. Amen. Well, if you said that prayer for the first time, then uh, congratulations. It's the best decision that you could ever make. Do head over to our City Church website where you can explore the next steps that you can take in your journey. I said that we'd explore the ways in which we can respond to this message. Well, there's a few ways. So it might be that you, you are prompted to explore a leadership gifting. And that might be in your workplace or it might be in your university or amongst your friends. You might be thinking about starting an alpha for your friends around you. It might be a role that you've been offered or a position. Um, ask God to encourage you in that. Ask God to help you to fan that gift into flame. A great way of doing that is by exploring the City Church Leadership School, CCLS. And as Stephen said earlier, the evening school applications are still open. So head over to ccls.uk to explore more information about that. Now, I said at the beginning of the message about collective leaders, and I want to encourage you, if you're being prompted into leadership, if you think that you're being called into leadership, then leading a collective here at City Church is a great way of outworking that. And so do go onto our website, citychurchcardiff.com forward slash leader collective to explore what that might look like. We'd love to have a conversation with you. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. To find out more, visit our website at citychurchcardiff.com or find us on social media.